Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. In many parts of the world, we are staying at home. We're quarantined because of COVID-19 situation. And what I'm hearing from many of my clients, they say it's a perfect opportunity for me and my partner to get closer emotionally, sexually. But the challenge that they're having is they're struggling with cultivating desire, which part of it, it makes sense because our stress level and desire can be connected. And many people, when they're stressed out for a number of reasons, it's hard for them to have desire to have sex. So if you belong to one of those groups that you want to have sex, but you're struggling with cultivating healthy desire, I created this 25 items in the checklist that you can practice and it helps you long-term to increase your sexual desire. It's a free gift uh, that I have for you, and you can find the link in the show notes. Today, we're going to talk about the impact of medication on your sexual wellness. One of the challenges that I see in my current clients, and definitely have seen it in the past, that part of their challenges that they have around sexuality is because of the medication they're taking, because of the condition they're having, whether they're struggling with depression, anxiety, or other non-mental health-related challenges, they need to take some medications. And many of these medications are impacting our sexual drive, our ability to experience orgasm. And it's important to have awareness around that and know that there are things that you can do to have a healthy sex drive and be able to experience pleasure while you are taking care of yourself. That's why I thought it would be a great idea to invite a physician to come on the show and tell us about some of the side effects of some of the common medications that many of us have taken or are taking currently. And he also will share with us some of the ways that we can get around taking the medication, but also having a healthy sexual drive and be able to have wonderful connecting sex with ourselves and partners. Our guest is Dr. Mohebi. Amir Mohebi was our guest in episode 162. He talked to us about sexomnia. And in this episode, as I mentioned, he's going to talk to us about the various medication and their side effects and impacts on our sexuality. Dr. Amir Mohebi is a proud Iranian-American and he's currently completing his psychiatry residency at San Luis University. He has a number of publications. He's presented in various places, including American Psychiatric Association, and he earned his medical degree from San Luis University. You can find the link to his full bio in our show notes. And I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Dr. Amir Mohebi back on our show. Dr. Mohebi, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Dr. Mohebi. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about today's show. 
I am very excited as well because the topic of medication comes up a lot in my practice. And it is, of course, outside scope of my practice. And I always recommend people talk to your psychiatrist about it. One of the challenges that many people have, like some of these medication is not even prescribed by the psychiatrist. It's prescribed by a primary care provider and the provider sometimes they don't know what would be the good solution to some of the challenges that people have. So I think it would, this is such a fantastic and useful conversation that can help people to kind of gather more information about some of the challenges that they have. So when it comes to medication, I see several challenges. I'll start with saying that you know, some providers, some therapists are not necessarily kind of they're positive about medication or they think it's last resort. To me, I think that they're fantastic addition and then sometimes uh, kind of may, could be main treatment for many of the challenges that people have. So I tell my clients that like one of the fears that people have that, oh, if I have this mood disorder and I start the medication, then it means that I have to take it for the rest of my life. It's not my experience. It's my experience with my clients that when they start they, taking the medication as prescribed and they start learning strategies and working through the challenges, they can recover and they don't need to take the medication depending on the medication for the rest of their lives. But one of the very, very common challenges that I see is when people coming into me and they're taking antidepressant, they experience significant change in some aspect of their sexuality. And A, sometimes they don't know that those are related and B, they don't know that there is a solution out there to address that. So tell us how common it is for some of those antidepressants to cause challenges in people's sexuality. Thank you for, for bringing that up. And you did touch on a lot of uh, very important points. But to answer your question, we can expect up to 40 to 50% of people who are treated with an antidepressant, specifically what we call the SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, that they will, over the time of their treatment, develop some sort of sexual side effect. Now, it really differs depending on which specific one, how long you've been using it, the dose. Most people don't develop the sexual side effects until much later in the course of their treatment. Um, and we're talking about, you know, six months to a year. And it's usually at higher doses. But that being said, it can happen even when you're just starting. And there's some reports that even after stopping use of the SSRI medication, that some of these uh, side effects can kind of linger on. And for men and women, we're kind of observing different effects. Men, primarily, they, they might notice a decrease in their libido, but it's definitely prolonged uh, ejaculation. And for women, it's going to be more anorgasmia. But even some pain and things like that have been reported as well. And uh, you did touch upon a great point that, you know, often that these medications are prescribed by a primary care provider and that, the, you know, you're going to inherit the patient that um, is already on these medications and, and they may not realize how this is impacting uh, their sexual life and what they're seeing you for, you know. And I think that we would both agree that 
all the studies show that definitely, you know, solving the relationship issues, communication, therapy, and then if they need medication, all these things together lead to the, to the best outcomes. But I'm hoping that today we can kind of break apart some of these myths about the medications and, and give people a better understanding of um, what they do and and how to use them responsibly. Right. And with the sexual dysfunction that's kind of correlated with using SSRI is with some of my female clients that you mentioned, they talk about mm-hmm. losing sensitivity or they're not able to achieve orgasm. One of my clients were telling me that she used to experience orgasm. She never had an issue. And then as she started taking the medication, it becomes more of an issue. And she was telling me that this is a dilemma because when I'm depressed, part of depression is loss of interest and pleasurable activity. So I don't want to have sex. But when I'm on the SSRI medications, then I, I feel better. But then I feel I'm not experiencing kind of like the sexual experiences that I want to have. I have struggles with reaching orgasm and experiencing orgasm. So what are some of the solutions that people have if they are experiencing these medications? Is it something that they have to kind of like accept it or there are some modifications that people can do to address some of those challenges? Oh, I mean, we have we have options. So, I mean, the truth is that the reason there are so many antidepressants out there is that, you know, only about 30 percent of people respond to the first medication that they, you know, tried with, you know, and actually it's the GI function, the nausea that is the main thing that causes people to have to, to change. But sexual side effects would be the, the second. Now, typically, you could change to a, a different SSRI, or you can change class altogether. You know, so yeah. So one of my favorite options to use in this uh, scenario is actually a medication known as bupropion or Wellbutrin. I like this medication because it works by a completely different mechanism of action. It's working mainly on dopamine and or epinephrine and does not have any sexual side effects that we see that are, are noticeable. Now, um, it can be also helpful for depression. You know, it, it's energizing. However, if you have a very anxious patient, it might be counterproductive because it'll make those thoughts more intense and they might be ruminating. And if that's something that's coming up during sex, that may be a problem. You know, so the other options are to kind of look at which SSRI that they're on. Paroxetine or Paxil is by far and large the worst in in terms of sexual side effects. Um, And that's because it has a short half-life and, and, you know, the effects go up and down more when the medications have a shorter half-life. And in fact, um, in forensic situations, you know, when we're treating paraphilias like pedophilia, we will use medication like paroxetine because it has the most sexual side effects, you know. But there are options to, to being able to balance the mood, anxiety, and mitigating the sexual side effects, for sure. Well, I'm glad that you talked about a number of different ones. And I feel that's where people get confused because sometimes they are kind of like not sure if they want medication or not. It's my experience that like they starting those and then they either they don't see the result and they kind of without consulting with their doctor, they stop 
or they think that, okay, if if this situation, this medication has this side effect. So my choices are either like stop the medication and have a better sex life or uh, continue with it and struggle. But they don't know that some of these challenges are, as you mentioned, they're dose related. There are a number of different options that they can explore and they can still benefit from, they, they still can benefit from the medication and the support of the medication and they can still have fulfilling sex life. Definitely. And yeah, you brought up the uh, amazing point there because it's really true that you really have to be on the medication at a therapeutic dose for between six to eight weeks to begin to see the benefits on the move. And the reason for that is those medications, the SSRIs, they just take what your body is naturally producing and kind of help it, you know, stay around longer and last longer. You know, they're not directly adding anything to uh, the cells themselves like other medication. And people might be on medications that have antidepressant activity that are impacting their sex life without even realizing that. And the number of medications you take is one of those. So a medication that's commonly prescribed for sleep is trazodone. And most people don't know that trazodone is an SSRI medication, and it's uh, associated with having a a lot of sexual side effects. In fact, uh, one of uh, the most serious side effects that are caused by trazodone, and it's very well reported, is a condition called priapism. And priapism is a very painful erection when blood, you know, fills the penis and is unable to drain. And at that point, uh, it's an emergency. You have to go to the ER and a urologist has to drain it. You know, so it's not a pleasant experience. And it's not clear, you know, who that's going to happen to, you know. Other things like herbal remedies can also, you know, be a problem. But uh, pain medications, tramadol, Okay, tramadol is often one of the very first medications prescribed for pain because it's milder on the opiate spectrum, but it very much has some uh, serotonin activity and it very much causes sexual dysfunction. So, you know, we have to watch for the effects of multiple medications kind of adding on to each other, you know, tricyclic antidepressants or things like nortriptyline, amitriptyline. They're often used for sleep or for things like fibromyalgia, isoretinoin, which is used by dermatologists for for acne. These are all have sexual side effects. So, you know, it really does take an expert to kind of look at the situation in, in total to see where we can optimize things. Fascinating. And I I had like, I used to work at addiction facility and trazodone was one of those main medication that was prescribed for sleep. And I know many of my clients are on trazodone and this is the first time I'm, I'm hearing about the possible side effect. The other thing that you mentioned that was fascinating that I didn't know that in forensic setting, they use kind of some kind of psychiatric medication to help perpetrators, people who are struggling, in what context they're using them? Well, you know, the different parts of the world, they have different kind of ethical models on on how they treat and respond to those situations, you know, and how they deal with the sexually violent predators or things like pedophilia. In some countries, they might even use hormones to kind of suppress the testosterone and suppress the sex drive altogether. Uh, It's been argued that that might be kind of extreme. So another alternative uh, school of thought was if the, you know, 
the perpetrator or the patient is, you know, struggling with the urges and things like, like libido, that in those cases, it would make sense to give a medication like Paxil that has very high sexual side effects, that that's exactly what it does. It, it will lower the libido and it will lower those urges. In, in those settings, it's, it's been used. You know, I mean, I don't want to call it chemical castration, but really in some parts of the world that does happen, unfortunately. Sure, and definitely, I'm sure everyone, depending on their views and where they stand, they have some reaction to it. But it's interesting that some medication like Paxil that many people are taking can have that that's, that side effect that can be used for, for kind of like such a treatment. Is Does it have the same kind of impact as far as lowering the video for both men and women? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because... Generally speaking, there are sex differences to how people respond to the medication for sure. Definitely women will, will be impacted by the anorgasmia and they'll notice that much, much sooner. And then for men, the, you know, it's more of the loss of libido that happens much later down the, the course that they notice, you know. And there, you know, there is something I do want to point out about that scenario, loss of libido, for example. You know, when I often when I talk to my patients, I have to dive into the details of what they're comparing themselves to. You know, what is the perspective that we have? Because I have some patients who, because of their emotional issues, they might cope with, you know, unpleasant emotions by being sexual, but um, maybe more intensely sexual than they would be otherwise. And then I treat them for their depression and their anxiety. They're better able to regulate their emotions and they're not turning to sex as much to kind of comfort themselves like they used to. And they might perceive that as a loss of libido. You know, sometimes how that comes out in the exam room is that they're indifferent about that side effect and they're willing to continue on the medication, if that makes sense. Such a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes people come into my practice because of uh, what they describe as out of control sexual behavior. And they, as you said, like sometimes it's just purely coping the strategy for people and they learn to cope with all those struggles they have with mood, with different areas of their life using sex because sex is a coping strategy for many people and they are over relying on, on that strategy. So you're right that when you are are addressing the underlying issues, whether it's medication or psychotherapy, then people desire to have sex might be different because they it's not that coming from that place of anxiety or desire to get rid of that negative mood. Absolutely, for sure. And, you know, this reminds me of, uh, you know, other psychiatric conditions that might influence uh, how sexual so someone is. For example, I just read a case report about an autistic patient who uh, had this issue with um, masturbation as main coping strategy. Um, and that's something that was very difficult for the family to, to deal with, um, especially because, you know, there's 
two sides of that coin. You don't want your child to suffer, but then behaviors might get in, get in the way of this person's life. And in those situations, they were able to use medications like Prozac to successfully, you know, treat that behavior. And so we know that, you know, in some, some instances, it is effective. And, and I'd like to touch on bipolar disorder as well, because folks who are experiencing bipolar disorder might have increased sexual activity or increased risky behavior during the times that they are manic or hypomanic and and not realize it. And the interesting thing about a manic episode is that the minimum requirement is that the symptoms have to last for a week. But if untreated, it can go on for months, you know. And so if someone is manic for months and having a very high sex drive, you know, to them that might be their baseline or what's normal for them. You know, so it's it's really interesting to kind of evaluate people's sexuality in reference to themselves and in, in comparison to others. You know? Absolutely. And I, it's my experience with my clients that they struggle with bipolar. It's the toughest, like medication sometimes can be tough sell because with my client with depression or with anxiety, they feel kind of like, okay, this is something I don't want. But with bipolar, you have that manic episode that many people feel, for some people, they feel it's, it feels great, I'm productive. They talk about like they're being risk taker, they have fun sexual experiences. So of course, that can be destructive and also depression that could be part of it as well. So some people, especially the clients that I work with, that they are creative, they, they're just like hesitant to take the medication. But I know one of the very, very promising medications that it's been used for decades now, it's lithium. Does lithium have an impact on one's sexual experiences? Yeah, so, um, you know, absolutely uh, it does. In fact, lithium is the gold standard medication for bipolar disorder. And for folks that, you know, are into natural, you know, remedies, it's, it's a salt. And it is one of the oldest uh, medications used, but unfortunately, when they compared it to other medications that cause, uh, that are used, I'm sorry, that are used to treat bipolar disorder, uh, lithium actually had the worst total sexual function. And it, it was the worst in terms of sexual desire when they compared it to the mood stabilizer medications. Now, they did find that for folks being treated on lithium, that they can increase the sexual arousal when they add a benzodiazepine medication like clonazepam or Valium or something like that. But generally, they found that the mood medications like Depakote, carbamazepine or Tegretol, that they have very, very low score on causing sexual side effects in, in bipolar patients, you know. And, you know, I should also mention, since we're on this subject, that often folks who have bipolar type 2 or who become hypomanic, often unfortunate that we don't know this until, you know, they come to their doctor with uh, complaints of depression or anxiety and they're put on an antidepressant and that actually makes them become manic. Um, and so that's a, that's a situation where, you know, uh, the professional definitely has to screen for any kind of warning of bipolar disorder before starting someone on an antidepressant, you know? And I'm not necessarily here to advocate for using medications, you know? Actually, it's very, very interesting, but saffron seems to have a lot of evidence for treating sexual dysfunction. Were you aware of that? 
No, and I'm shocked because because I have a fridge full of saffron. <laughs> so please <laughs> tell us more about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I I came across this uh, when I was reading a review about the updated treatments for sexual dysfunction in men and women, and there has been. Um, data going back years that it, it had been effective as an aphrodisiac. And then here lately, they have been studying it for improving things like sexual desire. The only thing that it was not effective at was coming to orgasm quicker. But in all other markers of uh, sexuality, it showed great benefit. And um, often, you know, just by itself or in conjunction with like an antidepressant medication. And they, they looked at this in men and women and postmenopausal women, and they found, uh, you know, benefit. And they've, uh, you know, a lot of these studies do come from Iran, which doesn't surprise me. You know, in our culture, we, we have a lot of saffron. We eat a lot of saffron, you know. Tastes great, and and it has sexual benefits. So that's like sign me up. I would be curious to see what would be a dose and like look at those studies. But how promising! And I think people who are into herbal medications and things that are more holistic would have to think that they say is it has less side effects. I think one of the challenges on the ones that's not been studied on, I feel like okay, like inconsistency on the medication. Sometimes my clients tell me they get this random thing from the market and they're taking it. And and even if they're effective, I wonder, okay, if this is the right dose, who's looking for consistency? I love this study on on the saffron, but I I, I guess I get protective when people are just like kind of like choosing their own meds from the drugstore. Yeah, no, and and it's hard when you go to the gas station and it says horny goat weed and it's going to do this and that and, you know, your your buddies tell you, yeah, it works great. I mean, some of that is placebo effect for sure. You know, people pay twenty five dollars for these things; they want they're going to want it to work. But like you said, they're able to be sold in those places because they're actually being listed as like a nutrition product. You know, they just take a lot of vitamins and herbs that have already been approved for just being a, a you know a supplement, and they just kind of combine them together and make claims. But again, these are not things that the FDA supports. And in fact, a recent review showed that herbal medications, except for ginseng and saffron, um, had no benefit for sexual function at all. What is ginseng and what does it do? So ginseng... what it does is it, it actually will help people uh, achieve orgasm quicker. And it's, uh, it's a root. It's often used in uh, like Asian cuisine. Uh, it's a palate changer. Uh, but it's sold in supplements often because of the support for memory. You know, people who want to um, prevent dementia, for example, might use ginseng. Well, um, so it's, it's common in Eastern medicine. Yeah, that's FDA kind of like, it's not against that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and these are things in Eastern medicine have been used for a while, but people here lately have been, you know, much more vigilant about, you know, having evidence based for these decisions that we make. And it should be worthwhile to mention that in this day and age that we're, we're learning more about 
genetics. And, you know, I mentioned before that there's some people that they have these syndromes after discontinuing uh, antidepressants. And one of those is considered to be persistent genital arousal disorder that the urologists often encounter. And they notice that, you know, it's associated with their patients having been on an antidepressant. Now, this is a very, very small population. You know, we're talking about very, very small chance of this happening. But it's interesting that when the urologists do encounter this, the treatment for it is putting them back on the antidepressant and those symptoms kind of resolve. So that being said, you know, you, we opened up with, what if this medication works? Would it cause sexual side effects for me? Nowadays, your doctor can order like a gene scan for you to see which medications would work best for you and which ones would cause the least side effects, you know? And um, so we can kind of find tailor things a little bit better than when we used to. Absolutely. And I find that the key for kind of resolving some of these challenges, at least for my clients, is that to talk to their provider about the challenges that they have. When it comes to sexual challenges, it's hard for people to speak up because they kind of they have a their own shame about kind of wanting to have a good sex and they don't they don't feel comfortable talking about it with their, uh, with their even with their psychiatrist or the primary care provider so i think it's important for people to kind of ask questions related to these things and share with their provider that is a challenge what's your recommendation on how to approach it with a physician uh, you know, I think that, you know, it's it's okay to come straight on. I mean, that patient-doctor confidentiality is something that we hold very sacred, you know. And when it comes to psychiatry, we're, we're dealing with the brain. This is the most intimate part of us. And so, really, we're here to, to help you with the quality of life. It's not really to, to push medications on, on people. And often that takes, you know, getting to know you and really understanding um, what issue you're struggling with. And if it's something that's difficult to, to talk about. Uh, nowadays, you know, we even accept electronic communication, you know, so my patients can send me a, a message uh, through an app that's uh, secure and to let me know that they're maybe having some of those problems if they're having a tough time saying it to my face. And, and that's happened before. Right. And I agree with you that talking about it's important because if people are kind of feeling, okay, this is impacting my sexual experiences and I don't want to have it. Therefore, I'm dropping out of treatment or I'm not going to take my medication as prescribed. Then that creates an issue in the in, in treatment path of treatment. And you're right that hopefully I know that you are very open minded and hopefully most psychiatrists know that sexual wellness is part of overall wellness. So it's important for people to verbalize if they have challenges around that. Another group of medication that I'm kind of hearing interesting things mm-hmm. about it is for clients that are taking a stimulant for uh, attention mm-hmm. problems. Yeah. Tell us what is the some of the uh, side effects that you've been hearing from your clients if they're taking like Adderall or similar medication? Oh, yes. I'm so glad you, you brought that up because I would have forgotten. Now, ADHD is a very interesting illness. You know, these folks, they're low on stimulating brain chemicals to begin with, the dopamine and the norepinephrine. Now, to achieve orgasm, your brain needs a surge of this uh, norepinephrine or adrenaline. It's required. And so often people with ADHD, without realizing it, that they develop compensatory behaviors that will naturally 
increase the dopamine release in their brain, you know? So I might have ADHD patients that do masturbate more. They are a little bit more sexual than their peers, you know? And that's one way that it shows. Now, in terms of the medications themselves, that does cause a different kind of of problem. Now, if you're, you know, well-treated for your ADHD, there shouldn't be any issues, okay? But it's very easy to over-treat with ADHD. And a lot of medications that we use are very potent, like Adderall, okay? And the difference between like an Adderall, which is a stimulant medication, and Prozac, which is a SSRI, is that Prozac, it doesn't give this burst of serotonin to the other cell, whereas Adderall, it gives this flush of energy to the receiving cell. And it, that's how it works uh, to, to wake up the brain. And unfortunately, it causes the heart to beat faster. Now, when the heart beats faster, the blood is more centered inside and it doesn't go to the periphery. And in order to uh, maintain an erection, you need your heart rate to slow down so that the blood can cool in the venous part of the penis. And so if your heart rate is too fast, that's not going to happen, you know? And, and that's kind of the issue with those medications. Now, on the flip side of that, also, I've had patients who were very over-medicated with the stimulants and they became manic and they were very hypersexual. And, you know, and that's when we had to, you know, maybe even hospitalize them because they weren't sleeping and they even were having, you know, other issues like paranoia. And so it's really tricky with the stimulants. And that's why it's important that you, you work closely with the doctor to fine tune it. But I'm glad you asked that question. Excellent. So I, I didn't know that there is both sides to it. So it's it's fascinating to learn about all of these medications and how how impactful it can be when it comes to our sex and sexuality, depending on the dose, how much are we using, in what context are we using. And I would imagine you agree with me as well that we want people to take the medication as prescribed. I think what's important yeah. is that uh, a big communicative with your provider and definitely take it like get it get the prescription from an expert like yourself that they have the knowledge about these areas so before we pivot to the next episode which will specifically it's going to talk about sexual dysfunctions and medication dr mohepi tell us where can people find you if they want to work um so yeah here i'll be in the newport beach and I haven't established my private practice quite yet, but coming in July, I should kind of finalize, you know, which group I'm going to be joining. But definitely I'll be around uh, in Orange County very soon. I'm happy to see, you know, patients from 17 and up, really. Excellent. So if you guys are interested to work with Dr. Mohepi, with his permission, I leave a link to his email so you can kind of communicate with him if you need if you need or, kind of yeah, or follow me on Instagram and then by then I'll, I'll you know it'll be more clear where Excellent. to track me down Excellent great great so it seems like the Instagram is the best best way of getting a hold of you so thank you guys for listening and stay tuned for our kind of like medication part 2 
I hope you found the conversation with Dr. Mohebi useful. I know many of my clients and the people I know in my life now either increasing their dose or they're reaching out to their physicians to get medication to be able to manage their mood effectively. And it's important to know that if you're taking the medication that's prescribed by your physician, you might experience some sexual side effects and it's important to keep track of them and also have an open conversation with your physician about them. Also, if you're not interested to pursue the medication route, but you are struggling, you're always welcome to contact me. I offer video counseling to my clients in California and also all around the world. And it would be my pleasure to help you during this challenging time. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.